millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Space, the final frontier. It isn't just some vast arena for people to explore using the latest, shiniest technology. It's also a place that can hold important stories about us humans too. And that's what the emerging discipline of space archaeology is trying to study and preserve. From the Sapiens podcast, this is from a recent episode called Is Space a Human Place? Host Jen Shannon meets Alice Gorman, an Australian archaeologist who was working in heritage management with Aboriginal communities when she realised that space junk, like old satellites, has heritage value too. Over time, Alice learned that there were others. She was not alone in the universe of space archaeology. There were a couple of other Australians working on similar things, and in the U.S., there was Dr. Beth O'Leary of New Mexico State University. And she had, in 1999, applied to NASA for some funds to catalogue everything that had been left at the Apollo 11 landing site. This small group of budding space archaeologists started to work together. And in 2003, they got the World Archaeological Congress to recognize that, quote, the material, culture, and places associated with space exploration are significant at individual, local, organizational, national, and international levels. As space industries and eventual space colonization develop in the 21st century, it is necessary to consider... This was a major milestone for Alice and her colleagues, and it rang out across the broader archaeological community as a call to action. Over the next 15 or so years, they did their best to study landing sites, satellites, and other space junk. But hidden in that very same statement was a warning of the immense challenges ahead. The cooperation of international space agencies, national space agencies, the aerospace industry, and the principal astronomical and astronautical associations is an essential part in ensuring the appropriate management of the cultural heritage of space exploration. The task force will identify relevant international... I happened to see in November 2015, NASA put out a call for applications for its next cohort of astronaut candidates. Justin Walsh is an associate professor of art history and archaeology at Chapman University. In 2015, he was among the still small but growing group of space archaeologists. As it turned out, they ended up getting 18,000 applications for 12 spots. Uh, It was by far the most they had ever received. Uh, But that's interesting because if you look at their requirements, they state certain necessities, certain qualifications. And so one of the qualifications that's required is a STEM degree. That's science, technology, engineering, and math. That could be at any level. It could be a bachelor's degree, master's, PhD, but it, but it has to be in a STEM field. At the exact same time, they tell you what kinds of degrees are not qualifying. And included in that was social sciences. And even more specifically, more explicitly, we can say, there was a parenthesis, open parenthesis, geography, anthropology, 
archaeology, close parenthesis. It wasn't just a closed parenthesis. It was a closed door on Justin's hope for an archaeologist in space. So I saw that and frankly, I got mad. (laughs) Justin knew that NASA was thinking about long duration space flights. And he thought they'd never really considered the cultural implications of stuffing a small group of people into a tiny living space for months or even years at a time. So then I started thinking, how could I demonstrate the, the utility of a social sciences approach? He thought for a while, and then he called his colleague, Alice Gorman. And he kind of said, um, he said, oh, there's something I want to talk to you about. Okay, this sounds intriguing. And he um, pitched the International Space Station idea to me. The idea was simple. The International Space Station has been continuously occupied since November of 2000. That makes it the most significant human experiment in living in space. Or, as Walsh and Gorman later described it, a micro-society in a mini-world. And Justin wanted to study it. And I thought, wow, this makes so much sense, uh, so much sense that, you know, it's quite amazing that, that no one has actually thought of doing this before. But that's, that's always the way these things are, aren't they? They're not obvious until somebody does them. So they made a plan, found some money, and the International Space Station Archaeological Project was born. But again, there was the whole not being able to visit space thing. So they had to get creative. NASA has collected more than a million photos of the interior of the ISS, and they've made some of them freely available online. These are digital photos, so they have all kinds of data attached. Dates, times, exact locations, lots of stuff. That metadata allowed Justin and Alice to map the relationships between the people and objects in these photos over time. Once they did that, they started to see patterns that no astronaut ever thought to document, let alone analyze. Everywhere throughout the space station, there's like little um, elastic bands attached to the wall or Velcro tabs because you can't let go of anything or it will just drift away. And astronauts say, you know, they have done that. They've sort of let go of something here, turned their head away, and when they turn it back, they cannot see the thing. And the thing might not have drifted far, but it's impossible to actually pick out. So things get lost all the time. There's little Velcro tabs everywhere. There's plastic baggies and little plastic baggies inside big plastic baggies. Alice saw all these as more than just clever ways to keep things from getting lost. She saw gravity surrogates. A whole lot of the materials they use and the behaviours that they enact are attempting to replace gravity with material things. And that's something I find incredibly interesting and would like to do a lot more work on. Billions and billions of dollars have been spent to build these rockets and space stations that allow us to escape gravity. But it turns out we replaced it with plastic baggies. And that's not all they've learned so far. Justin was looking at some photos of one of the Russian areas of the space station, when he spotted something out of the ordinary. And this is the uh, Russian service module that is where there are two crew berths, there is a galley, there is exercise equipment. This is also a place where cosmonauts perform research, do experiments, uh, that kind of thing. And so all kinds of different aspects of life 
go on here. So Justin was looking at a bunch of pictures of this particular module, and he saw, oh, okay, this is where this person slept for a while, and this is where that person ate. What I noticed in this Russian module is that there were a number of pictures and other kinds of toys and maybe like small paintings and a national flag or a mission patch stuck on the wall. And as I was looking at these, I thought, wow, there's a lot of different things up there. Some of them are religious. In fact, they were Orthodox, Russian Orthodox icons. There was a gold cross. But then some things were secular, like I said, the flags or the mission patches. But also I noticed pictures of historic, um, kind of historic personages relating to space. Specifically, Russian personages, like Yuri Gagarin, who is the first human in space. So I started to look at other pictures because I was like, oh, is that stuff always up there? And I realized that if you look from the very beginning, from the very first, as they call it, expedition to the space station in November 2000, there's always been something up there. But it's not always the same thing. It's not always the same number of things. It's not always the same kinds of things. So what I did was I took uh, 50 photos from 2000 to 2014, and I cataloged all the things I saw on that wall in each of those photos. And surprisingly or not, he saw patterns. What it showed was that astronauts were making different choices about what kinds of things they wanted to put on display. And when I say put on display, it's not just for other crew members. This is actually also one of the main areas where video conferences happen back to Earth. It's especially when every time there's a new crew that goes up there, because they've just entered there, if you're watching on NASA TV or online or what have you, you can see it. That's where they do the video conference, where they're talking with their families like, hey, what a great ride up here. I hope you're doing well, etc. And you can see what's up there. Identity, politics, religion. These are essential elements of what makes us human. And what Justin and Alice were observing was the first time humans were figuring them out in space. How do you pray in space? How do you participate in politics when you're so far outside the borders of your homeland? Who are we? Who are you in space? We can think about it this way. These cosmonauts in a way represent Russia, but they also have their own communities, families, and relationships back home. What they choose to display or not display reflects the dynamics of those relationships. But it's always been about more than just stuff. As Alice understood from the beginning, there are important things at stake here. People tend to think of space technology as, you know, it's all shiny metal and glass and nothing is alive. Uh, you know, it's all very technical and removed from, from human existence. But this International Space Station shows that it, it isn't and shouldn't have to be like that. It can be full of mess. It can be full of little things that people find comfort in or use to provoke memories or uh, use to support their individual or group identities while they're up there. How will spacefaring humans create a sense of identity? How would they maintain connections with people and groups on Earth when they venture deeper and deeper into the universe? And who will we be? when we're being born, growing up, and living our lives so far from Earth. Understanding how this works and how it might be sustained is gonna be critical, I think, 
for Moon and Mars settlements, where people are going to be even further away, and on Mars, for a long time at least, with no chance of returning. So how uh, material and visual culture is used to maintain relationships, is used to support individual well-being, isn't a trivial side question. This is at the heart of everything, and we're just starting to see how this might work by investigating the International Space Station. Host Jen Shannon speaking to space archaeologists Alice Gorman and Justin Walsh in Episode 7 of Sapiens called Is Space a Human Place? And thanks to Chip Colwell and Catherine Jaffe for letting me share that with you. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.